This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Gentlemen, boys and girls, as always, gather around that apparatus that you have that you listen to this life with Dr. Drew and Bob and Shelly. Yeah, we're joined by Shelly Sprague. Shelly, thank you for I joining us. I think she should just be permanent. Thank uh, it's you. It's fine with me. It's, uh, you okay. Know, it's, okay. I'll take it. <laughs> we have a special guest. Hello. We have a special guest. Uh, it's Becky Savage. She has a harrowing story where two, oh, of, two of her four sons uh, lost, I, I don't know how we describe this, uh, uh, you know, she lost them one in one night to acute alcohol and oxycodone. Two in one night. Yeah. Nick, who was 19, had just finished his first year of college. Jack was 18, had just graduated from high school. Uh, Becky's actually a nurse. Uh-huh. You can imagine how devastating uh-huh. that is when you you know, you know know have a medical background. You still can't help. But, Becky, we appreciate you joining us. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And she has a foundation named 525. It's uh, named after the boys' hockey numbers, 5 and 25. And this all happened in 2013. Um, so, Debbie, I'm sorry, Becky, I'll just let you sort of start out. What do you want people to know about the foundation? Sure. Well, the foundation, um, again, thank you for having us and um, bringing light to what we're trying to do as a foundation. Um, the foundation um, was started, actually, um, the boys died in 2015. And about um, a year had passed, and we were asked to speak um, locally um, at a town hall meeting related to underage drinking. And my husband and I, neither one of us are public speakers, but we thought long and hard about it and thought, you know, since our boys had been underage drinking, that we could maybe um, shed some light on that. And we were promised maybe 12 people would attend, 20 at the max. Well, over 200 people showed up to hear us talk about our story. And um, we thought after that event, um, it was just a room full of parents that were just as scared um, that something like this may happen to them. So we decided to start the 525 Foundation um, in memory of Nick and Jack, um, Jack's number being number five and um, Nick's number being number 25, um, hockey numbers, um, just to kind of tell their story, share their story, share who they were, um, and, and hopefully um, save a life in the process of doing so. How are the other, the media, how, how you know, I was excited the, to, that she was going to be yeah. here. I know the story. Yeah. I was following it when it happened. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. I can't imagine. And there's so many families that you've touched hearing about this and motivated to help their children get sober because of your story. And I, I know 
that may be some solace to you. But I always wonder about the other two boys. How are Thank they you. doing? How are your other two boys doing? You know, it's it's day to day, you know, as it is for my husband and I too. I mean, anytime you lose somebody that um, plays such a big role in your life and a big piece of your heart, it you know, it's hard every day. Um, but we've always been a very tight knit family, um, and we are continue to to carry on. I think um, my husband and I made a choice, you know, after the boys had passed away, um, that we could either sit and feel sorry for ourselves and be consumed by grief. Or we could um, turn it into something positive and something that we can change um, and focus on our other two boys. And our other two boys um, have been involved um, with our foundation, which I think has been rewarding for them. And it maybe is a healing process, too, to see that we are, you know, making a difference in the lives of other people. And uh, they can just That's what I was hoping, because I can tell you that I, I deal with thousands of families. Well, that's what I wanted and to... And you have yeah. had a positive effect on people that you've never met. Thank just you. your story. Thank you. And Thank you for saying so. Let's zero in. Is it her courage, her willingness to get back? And what, what has got people mobilized? Just the awareness of how real it is. Yeah. When when it was first broken, that you know, some something about them both in the same night had this profound effect on parents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like the unthinkable, unthinkable yeah. two times in one night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so it woke a lot of parents up to be proactive about their kids' opioid uh, addictions, to not be so naive about their kids, to, to understand that hockey stars can have drug problems too. I mean, your story being transmitted out th- to the public, I, I know it was probably painful for you, but it was so helpful to other parents. And I hope you know that. I appreciate hearing that. And, I, I, you know, it does help. Um, you know, Nick and Jack, were, like we said, we're great people, wonderful people. Um, and we're going to make a difference in the lives of others. And I think just by us telling their story, they're still able to continue to do so. so your, thank your you courage, for telling us. Your courage is, is so profound, too. As a parent, I can't imagine what you have been through and what you what you continue to go through. And, and I have to say that people respond to the truth. And I think that what you're doing is, is very, very necessary for people to understand the severity and the dangerousness of what our society is portraying as maybe partying or maybe um, exploring, exploring, rite of passage, out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, these things are deadly and dangerous. And I think that your courage to bring that into the forefront of people's minds with children, I think is, is so brilliant. And, and I know so hard fought, you know, and I, I'm very sorry for your loss and your losses. Let's let's talk a little bit about the, the bigger, um, the sort of the bigger problem here of sort of hopelessness and lack of meaning and, you know what we do with this generation that that uh, her well, sons represent. Everything I read about with, her yeah. kids, they're high achievers, athletes, which you're seeing all across the United States, especially across the Rust Belt, where there is that opiate epidemic. And those kids, there's so many hopeless, helpless, unparented kids, out of control, non drugs, that even the high functioning kids are being drug into it. That's why I say it's such a social problem. You understand? Yeah. 
and it, and these kids. But what the, is the, it? Is my, it something... my son uh, Elijah pointed it out to me when he was sixteen. He goes, Dad, when you were when you were a kid, it was just musicians and bad kids and juvenile delinquents on drugs. Dad, the quarterback of the football team is on drugs. Yeah. The head of the of the student council is on drugs. Right. You need to understand that. And he told me that twenty years ago, and I was like. Ah, don't talk to me like that. That's not true. That's not true. And it was true. It was mm-hmm. the beginnings of what was to come of all kids are taking drugs. All kids. So, so what is going on? What Can we zero in on any sort of something here that, that's missing or I, that these – it's obviously not parenting because it's all different kinds of parenting. Right. And to blame, right. blame, I think it's exposure, and, number and one. To, let's just be really clear. Blaming parents just creates another victim. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, there's always been this mentality, and it still exists now to this day. The the good-raised kids' parents don't want the good-raised kids' parents to hang out with the bad-raised kids' parents, right? Yeah. The parents are absent. Listen, I hung out with the Bales kids. They didn't have a mom. The mom was gone. The dad was working all the time. They didn't contaminate me with juvenile delinquency. They, you know what I mean? You contaminated there's, them. There's that, but I'm talking about that divisiveness that is in yeah. our society, I yeah. think, even more now. But can, can, we, can we begin to sort of – it's so hard for us from our perspective. You to, lived through it. You had your kids hanging out with kids you weren't so crazy about them hanging out no, with. No, I understand. And, and, but and you talk with them about it. I, I do, but I, I'm wondering what it is about the world they see that that is so – Unpleasant. Problem. I think her sons I, were experimenting. No, of I think course. the one it, was following the other, right. and the other was experimenting. But you had to have that whole big swath of their community exactly. that had opiates exactly. in it, that had hopelessness in exactly. it. Exactly. And so, what is there? Is that? And that is a symptom of what would we call bad, that? I you you don't want to blame parenting. It's bad parenting. Well, I'm not going to blame Becky. It's, no, no a, not her. I'm talking about just there's. The, the, There's a new playground in New York City where parents aren't allowed. Have you heard that, about this? Saw it today. It's awesome. Yeah. No parents were around when I was playing when I was a kid. Were they around where you were, Shelly? Nope. There was so no it's, parents so around. So it's excessive parenting that's been it's the problem? It's excessive parenting. So, so the, the, whatever, whatever it is about us, our generation, we infected the younger generation, and those that then started using infected their peers? Is that yes. a way of looking at it? I, okay. That's how, somehow how I look at it. All right. All right. Becky, do you agree with that, or is that something more from your perspective? You know, I don't, I, I don't know if I... I what I think on, I think, um, how did your kids just, get involved with drugs? Do you know how, I mean, is that too, you know, painful? from what, what my understanding and I could be a naive parent. I, I mean, they've never been in trouble before for drinking or for drugs. And we had never had suspicion that you they were. This. And I would like to think that, you know, we were a hyper vigilant parent. You know, I was, I stayed at home while my husband went up to the lake to go fishing with our other two kids. Mm-hmm. You know, we were involved. I made them check in with me when they came home. I mean, different things like that. Um, I think um, that they probably just fell to, you know, peer pressure. And when yeah. I talk to parents and I talk to kids, I tell them, have an exit plan. Because I think, you know, if we're, we're, we're um, fooling ourselves if we think our kids aren't going to be exposed to stuff um and if they don't have a plan on how they're going to get out of it they're going it's going to be easier just to go along with it so so um, was how to deal with the peer pressure a, a strategy for i think it. yeah and i think a lot of the kids i talk to it, it's very immense i mean i think um we forget how hard it is 
for kids to go against that grain of peer pressure. Um, and for some reason, you know, it's it, the kids that I talked to, I've talked to, you know, thousands of kids across the country. And who, who are their, who are their, their number- who inspires them? That's, this is the stuff Bob and I talk a lot about. Shelly, I don't know if you think about this, but you know, who, who, what do they look at as sort of inspirational? Well, I mean, e- these e- kids sound like they were, you know, they were on the right so track and, and they were, you know, they were involved and, and yeah. the family was involved. But I'm talking about why is the saturation of opioids mm-hmm. in the households mm-hmm. that are around yeah. with no education and no knowledge of, of how f- dangerous these things yeah. are mixed with alcohol? Yeah. That's my and, question. And, you know, to be honest, being even being a nurse and being in the medical field, the healthcare field for, you know, this is 25 years for me. Um, I never had that conversation with my kids about prescription medications uh-huh. and don't take them if they're not prescribed to you. And, right. you know, certainly not with alcohol. Yes. Um, three years ago, we had not ever heard about that in our community. Mm-hmm. We were naive to that as well. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, you know, we're screaming that at the top of our lungs, yes. you know, and it seems like everybody in our community is becoming more aware of that. I right. mean, um, they are cleaning out their cabinets. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing pill pickups mm-hmm. and pill drops and things like that. That's um, exactly but what when I go to other smaller communities, you know, in, in other um, t- cities, they're still naive. They're, they're like, aware. wait, what? Kids are taking medications out of, prescri- you know, yes. out of where, you know, where people's you? medicine cabinets. Yes. Where are you? Where are you guys? Where are you guys? What city are you in? Uh, We live in South Bend, Indiana. Indiana, okay. Near Notre Dame. Yeah, it's a metropolitan area. So, so where? But that's a huge part of the opioid belt. Beltway. Well, I mean, I went to I went to a a methadone clinic in in uh, Gary, Indiana, one time. Gary's very different. Gary's oh. a tough work yeah. class town. <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> That's where Joe Jackson came from, <laughs> right? But, but but I guess they don't expect it in South Bend, but they expect it in Gary. That's sort of true. Okay, right. Yeah, that's sort of so, true. at least historically. But historically. I do I do believe the difference that us as parents need to understand is when I was in my teens and early twenties. Three percent to five percent of the population experimented with opioids yeah. or illicit drugs. Yeah, yeah. Now it's about twenty percent. Now, okay, right. so now it's is about twenty percent. Is that the fact that we've made too much of pills? I mean, again, I was raised the idea that all medication is dangerous. Nobody thinks that way anymore. Nobody no. thinks that way. So pills are safe. Pills, everyone takes them. What's the big deal? In fact, deal? I had you heard that. I had a doctor saying, well, I don't want to give her her Prozac prescription because she might kill herself with Prozac. I said, she can go to the 7-Eleven, get aspirin and kill herself. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just this weird kind but of I thing about medicine. But I think under the circumstances with, with Becky is that there is a lack of education and high-powered chemicals in people's medicine yes, cabinets right. mixed with alcohol mm-hmm. and no education around that. And I think we do need to shout from the mountaintops. But we have been ha- shouting from the mountaintops. She's been shouting for three years. Uh-huh. I've been shouting for 10 years. You've been shouting for 10 years. People know it now in uh-huh. certain, in, I would say in large parts of the United States, yes. people know about it. They're still dying like everywhere. Yeah. Not, not yeah. so much with the prescription stuff though. Now It's, more it's the, always benzos are in there. Oh yeah. That's the hidden that's epidemic. That's a prescription yeah. drug. Oh yeah. That's the hidden epidemic. That, that's still, no one's addressed that. I got those. kids that take 10 benzos a day. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. No one's addressed this yet. That's the next phase of this. Right. So, 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 when you talk, have you met other parents that have lost their children? Hey, before before we get to that, Becky, I got to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll answer that sure. question. Okay. We'll be right back. 
I want to welcome True Niagen to the show. True Niagen is a dietary supplement designed to boost key cellular resource called NAD. It's also, that's short for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It's a coenzyme found in every living cell. It's essential to our cells, and it's a key mediator of metabolism. A lot of work being done at NAD these days. I've been watching it very carefully. The science is preliminary, but it's been looking good in a lot of areas. Uh, What's exciting about these studies is that the increased NAD levels may potentially help with cellular metabolism, regulating circadian rhythm, and they're even hopeful it may slow the effects of aging. Very interesting research and seemingly no adverse effects. So while studies are very early, science out there is impressive. The biohacking community has gotten behind the research. Actually, the addiction treatment community has gotten behind it, too. I've been intrigued with the possibilities surrounding NED and the research behind True Niagen. I suggest you check it out for yourself. Go to their website. In June, I had a chance to speak with the company's chief scientific advisor, Dr. Charles Brenner, on the Dr. Drew podcast. It was a deep science, and it piqued my interest. In fact, I got on the product after talking to him. Definitely check out that episode. And to learn more about the research, the science, and the True Niagen supplements, visit TrueNiagen.com. That is T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com. Check it out today. We are right back. Uh, of course, we're with uh, Becky Savage. Uh, the story is like too too painful to repeat. Becky is very kind and has set up the I don't know if we've said it because it's so, it's so hard, hard to, to say. say yeah. Becky lost both two of her four children in one night Ugh. to a drug overdose. And you asked before the break about other parents. About other parents. Are you talking to other parents and forming? Because Drew and I have been talking for years that it's the moms that are going to save this society. That that moms bonding together who have lost their children can have a tremendous energy and power to change legislation. Look at Matt. To change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mother. Mothers Against Drunk Drivers is the best yeah. example. It's mothers. It wasn't government officials mm-hmm. or county supervisors right. or elected officials or pharmaceutical companies. It's moms. And I think moms – are you seeing a, a, a grassroots groundswell of moms who have lost their children organizing and coming I, together like you have? Yeah, actually, um, a lot of the moms, there's like the PTOs or – groups from the schools that have really reached out to me. And then they are the driving force behind getting the schools to um, get me to come to their schools to talk as an assembly. So it is the moms that have heard the story and um, are, you know, trying to get me infiltrated into their schools. But I tell you, I was an ambassador for Walgreens and they had me speak at um, their Chicago event with We Day and in Seattle and the energy with 20,000 students in Seattle sitting there and listening and hearing the boy's story, and it was completely silent. Mm-hmm. Um, but the vibe in that room, I said, if we can get these kids to go with a message and to feel confident, these are the, the kids are who's going to change the next generation in our future. I mean, the energy was just so, um, you know, overwhelming. You know, those kids are really where we need to hit and where we need to get them on board. In fact, our board has just um, opened up a new spot and we have a, a community advisory meeting with students that have reached out like wanting to help. And, mm-hmm. you know, I want to hear from them, you know, what do you think we should be doing next? You know, what do you, what are you seeing out there? What are better ways to affect, you know, kids, you know, of your age? And we're trying to really involve the kids in um, the next steps and the next decisions that we make as a foundation. Yeah. I think prevention. So moms, yes kids as well. Yeah, prevention in the schools. We need to demand 
education and prevention in the schools in junior highs. We need to get them in junior highs. Are we, are we though, missing uh, a piece of this? The hope hope part. Yeah, by focusing too much on the drugs. I mean, that's, uh, of course, the education is necessary, necessary, necessary. The culture's got to shift. We got to, medicines have to be seen as dangerous. Yeah, medicines have to be not in everybody's cabinet. I just think that, uh, let's just talk, let's just talk about parenting for a second because it's my favorite subject. At about, (laughs) at about 11 or 12 or 13, that's a time where you're going to the park on your bike by yourself and you're now responsible for you. We've told you the fundamentals now mm-hmm. for 10 years. There's none of that going on. Mm-hmm. So kids are not learning that, they're, they're, that they are their own autonomous decision makers responsible for themselves. That, there's not that handoff mm-hmm. from, from child to young adult. Well, that's what this place thing was all about. Yes. Right? Yeah. It looked, you know, I'm, it looked scary to me. Did you watch the video? No. They got I, saws and hammers yeah. and nails. Yeah. No parents allowed in the playground. It's in New York City, a new playground. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it looked great to me. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, so, but that, but that, that getting the, the kids to realize you know, you know, they it, are the ones who it was, are. It was interesting. The parents were even learning about their kids by watching, watching them. This one woman was like. I don't understand why he's so preoccupied with that hammer. He seems to <laughs> like the hammer so much. Like, yeah, he's a boy. <laughs> like... <laughs> but, but so, you know, it is true that opioid use in the next generation is down, right? So yeah. they've learned the lesson of their brothers yeah. and uncles and whatever and sisters and aunts. But benz- marijuana use is astronomically yeah. high. Yeah. Benzodiazepine use has stayed as steady as uh, it always is. Uh, Right, and they're also getting it on the streets, and it's not really benzos. I just have to say that. Oh, really? Sometimes it's fentanyl. It's got a bunch of stuff in it. Sometimes fentanyl. Yeah, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's fentanyl. So, just FYI, like we need to stay out there in the communities talking about this stuff. So, is there something we're Mm -hmm. missing? That's just I just we have this opportunity to talk about this, you know. Well, I get back to what Charles Barkley said twenty five years ago and got (laughs) crucified. He got crucified for it. Okay, he's a great philosopher. He got crucified for it. Play defense. He is. He said. He got crucified because he's a gambler and uh, he cusses and he, when he was in his prime in basketball. Okay, what he and they, because he, he got in trouble because they were saying, you're a role model and you don't act like a role model. And he goes, I'm not a role model for what? For who? For your kids? I never met your kids. I'm a millionaire basketball player. Role models should be teachers and aunties and parents and mm-hmm. the people in your community. Don't look to millionaire basketball players to be your role models or you're going to be right. in real trouble so, as a society. So that's that's a what note. he said. A great note. Right? I like that. So I believe that we're in a Mach 2 of, of, of role models like the Kardashians yeah. and all these kinds of people are the role models. Yeah. Wealth, they always follow wealth, the money. Wealth is the role models. Yeah. That's not who role models are. Yeah. Teachers are. You know, local police like officers are. The community has the role models. So digital safety. Digi- now, digital. Di- the social media now is as almost as great a threat as anything else yes. to our mental health. And I, I don't know how we get that genie back in the bottle. You can't, but 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 still, that fuels this. Role models are Logan Paul, and yeah. logo models are this. This. It's really a problem of what kids model after. I, I really believe that. 
and I tried to discourage Well, it. I mean, we modeled after like, you know, a bunch of dope fiends and look at, you know, we ended up where we ended I roll, up. I role modeled after my Uncle Woody, too. I was oh, talking okay. about him the other day. Okay. He was a bartender, drinker, See? storyteller. Uh-huh. He was... He was always a guy you look forward to seeing. Mm-hmm. But but your point, and I'll throw it back to Becky, is again, I think an interesting one is we need to sort of heroes and role models need to be sort of kids need to be more accessible or, or shaped. We need to pay more attention to that for kids. Maybe I, I don't know. What do you think, Becky? Yeah, I think I just the energy and the kids that I talk to, um, you know, like I said, at the We Day event, but then in the schools, when I go and talk to them, I always have a handful of kids that come up afterwards and say, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, and they give me a hug and whatnot. But then what can we do? I always get that question from them. What can we do? Who do and they my, look my, up my, to? The quickest response is go home and have your parents clean out their medicine cabinets. Yeah, That's good. the first thing that you yeah. can do in an immediate fix today, right. you know, and it's a simple thing. When you're done using them, you know, dispose of them properly. If we can get that change in mentality for people instead of keeping them up in their cupboards, you know, and storing them for however many years, um, they're not going to end up in a kid's pocket at a graduation party right. passed out to a group of people. So Cause, cause just little things. The, but I think the, the kids want to do something. They just don't know what to do. A lot of... Um... I'm just thinking about what, going back to my days. A lot of alcohol and pot use back in the day was to fit in, to be cool, and to deal with social anxiety. Social anxiety, sure. Yeah. I mean, you you but like I have a 17 and a half year old, and she obviously knows that off limits drugs, off limits alcohol, off limits. Now she's not off limits to go to these parties. She's just off limits to utilize those substances. And, and how does how come you were able to get that through to her and another mom might not have gotten it through? Well, I think because she obviously has, since birth, been around people who have had their ups and downs with substances. She's been to funeral. You know, she knows that people die. Did you have specific conversations with her about it? Very specific conversations. What, what did you and say? And have them now. What did you say? Um, that there is no place for substances in teenage life. And that if you want to go and hang out with your friends, that's great. But you have to know when to leave, like Becky was saying, like an exit strategy. She always has an exit strategy. That's cool. You know, she always knows that she can Mm -hmm. phone me or she can call an Uber. She has that autonomy to do that. And my daughter isn't one that's going to mince words. She's going to say, like... Oh, I don't really like when you're on that substance. Oh, that's good. I don't really like hanging out with you when you're drunk because you seem kind of dumb. Or I don't really like a bunch of stoned people on pot because they're really boring. And and so she's able to sort of articulate that at 17 and a half. And she's lost a lot of friends to yeah. alcohol, just not being close to her anymore. And, you know, I tell her, it's like, it's okay, you know. They'll come back around. Bob, what are you going to tell your kids as they hit 15, 16? The well, I mean, I... What are you going to tell them? Way before that. What I think at say? 8, 9, 10, 11. Well, here I we mean, are. Elijah knew at 8, 9, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. That what? What do you tell them? That, well, I just told Elijah, you you know, the chances that you have a genetic predisposition to become a or, you know, homeless heroin addict is high. I didn't tell him it was only 50-50. I told him it was way high. <laughs> right? Almost absolute. <laughs> Almost absolute. <laughs> Certainly. Right. Certainly. 
certain. And and but I can't stop you because it's up going to be up to you at a certain time. And then we just pound him into, into his head. One time right, I took so. him to an intervention mm-hmm. uh. of John F. Okay, so both and of us. So he both of us saw it at twelve years old. Yeah. He saw addiction, full yeah. blown. Insanity. So, so, but all three of us probably exposed our kids to drug addicts and yes. drug addiction. So we yes. did that. We all three did that. Number yes. one. Um, I'm interested that Bob is holding back on being the man. He's not what? quite willing to be the man when it comes to laying down the law on the drug addict stuff. No, I, I said the same thing. Listen, people are going to take drugs, and if you're going to take drugs. Given all that you know about what could happen to you, yeah. I can't stop you from that decision. But understand, and he had been to cry help well, when I was in cry help. I said you're going to end up in cry help. But but you stop short of one thing. What and I bet you said, you stop short of saying if you do it, it's on you. All the consequences I did are going to be, that. including I when I call the cops and have you put away. Nobody does that, Drew. You keep saying that. No one has ever called the police on their children. I would have done it. I know you say you would have, but you didn't have to. Well, because I said it, and I meant it. <laughs> <laughs> what about breaking I, I just, the therapeutic bond? I just simply said, Alliance. I just look, simply yeah, said yeah. to them, I said, look, do I allow any illegal activities? Is there anything illegal that I let you do? Please, because if I do, and I just want you to know, if you break laws, you had, it's on you. You had kids that are Same. yours. My kid said, you run red lights with me in the car all the time. <laughs> yeah. Modeling modeling is Shelly really was crucial. his therapist later in life. Yeah, I mean, modeling is crucial. We know that right. modeling, I know that my daughter is done listening to my words, yeah. and she's watching how I behave. And she's been watching how I behave, yeah. and I have been very open with her and and others obviously about my history and our family history of of substance use and abuse and i can trace back almost everything that's happened negative in our family history to some sort of substance mm. and i'm not shy about discussing that yeah at a very early age i Which think that's good yeah, yeah. at a very early age i think it's age, so think... important that parents talk to their kids i think you guys all have brought up that you know just mm-hmm. talking to your kids there's so many parents that haven't talked with their kids about it because they're a afraid to bring it up. Yeah. They don't know how to talk about it, what to do about it. And then, it, you know, they don't know how to answer questions. And, and right. I would um, argue the a, number lot, one, a big part of the, I'll let you answer that in a second, but, but a big part of the fear is they're fearful of being a parent of going, I'm not going to allow it. Yeah. They're fearful. It might harm my relationship with them. And that's, that is the single biggest mistake I ever see parents make is, mm-hmm. is will is mm-hmm. fear, fear of somehow, Unraveling the relationship. Well, I mean, you're you still do a get dad a lot. You for still being get a, lot a dad. Of flack for for you from the, know from the kids. From the kids. Yes. But that's the hard part. Yes, is that's that the you're job. Unpopular. That, oh, too bad. Very unpopular. That's the job. I know. Well, it's, with Elijah, yeah. I said you, you know you we've can... had the discussions of sex and drugs and alcohol and things like that with our kids, um, but never prescription drugs. Mm. Um, yeah. That wasn't something you know in our area. Like I said. Right. And, they may not. They may not, not even terrible. be aware it's illegal. It might seem like a legal move to them. Like, but they may not even well, have known what yeah. they were doing yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. I believe no, and a lot of kids that I talk to, didn't. um, they don't understand why prescription drugs are dangerous because Jeez. they're prescribed by a physician. A physician. Oh my god! And it needs to be and in science that's class. That's a whole other conversation. You know, I tell them it, they are safe. If they're prescribed to you by your physician, taken oh. exactly taken as prescribed. I don't think they're they even safe in that context. Yeah, we see too many unsafe prescribing practices. Well, I see too many kids oh, with, with well. broken arms and broken legs and regular childhood injuries being prescribed opioids. Crap loads. And a them. lot of them. And mm-hmm. 
that I think, in, in my estimation, a lot of my clients ended up on opioids due to a broke due to an injury, yeah. and then did mix alcohol with them yeah. or mix cannabis with them, and then did have that sensation, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then sought those those drugs out mm-hmm. um, in their future, and I've seen a ton of that. You know, in my experience, yeah. So think about it. The so the orthopedist or the general mm-hmm. practitioner continues the broken arm. Continue the kid mm-hmm. comes back two weeks later. I want to refill. Oh, yeah. here's thirty okay. more. 30 What's the most here's here's I got I got one idea about why it became such an epidemic. What's the hardest time in a young adult's life? 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah. What's the greatest feeling on earth? Opioid intoxication. If you're an so addict, at a time, dude. no, for anybody. I, I hate them. A lot of people I hate them. I a lot of people do. I literally, I, I hate how I feel on them so much. You'll one avoid time, it. One time I avoided it when I was having surgical pain. I became suicidal. The pain was so, so bad. bad. And I thought, oh, I better take this stuff. I know I, it's not that bad, but I. I, right, well, I, there's, yeah, I that's think the you're biological an difference. You're a rare. That that because because I do believe that a lot of kids have gotten caught up in the addiction epidemic who are not hey hey are not um, don't have that uh, the all the fundamentals. Right? You're, you're right, They're, but they yeah, at least have, at least have to feel good. They like at least it. yeah. They at least when have you're to like when it. you're 14 or 15 and you're given oxycontin because you broke your arm playing football, mm-hmm. you're gonna like it. It's gonna put away your social anxiety. anxieties anxiety. and all those things yeah. that's it's, the piece it's and that's what happened to all this but, but i'm arguing that we we maybe want to really deal with their social anxiety in some that's more right. proactive way we have we to start don't. in elementary school i i went to i went to my daughter's junior high and i talked to the kids and they're anxious yeah they're anxious. what are they anxious about they're anxious about fu- their future yeah, that's weird. We're making them anxious. The, the, they're the anxious. The press is making them crazy. I they're think. depressed. They're anxious, and they're they're uh, eleven and twelve. That's they're crazy. worried. They're it's, very worried. Yeah, I, like I, chronic I, I, worried. I mean, I th- I feel like it's worse now. I, you and I have been talking about this for a year. No, it is worse with my with my daughter and her friends. It is worse. They're so concerned about college right now. They can hardly even have a good summer. College is useless at this point. Oh my gosh! What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? What am I talking about? <laughs> I, I'm going to let Becky go before we go. Before we go. Before Sorry, we go really go. negative. <laughs> Because Becky's got we're a very positive message. Yes, for us. sorry, Becky. We we almost so, got derailed. So we're gonna we're gonna derail. And I'm gonna talk to Bob a about about his politics because it's an evolving process. But <laughs> but but five two five foundation dot org is where people should go and, and tell us again, Becky, what we'll find there. Uh, uh, you'll find um, our story, um, kind of how we um, got into this, doing what we're doing. Um, and just a little bit about upcoming events. Um, we have a tab. We'll put some educational things on there. Um, and just uh, if you'd like to follow us, you can, they can follow us on Facebook, um, on Twitter. I'm trying to get crafty with my um, IT stuff because I know that's what the kids are following and paying attention to. So. Yes, absolutely. All right, Becky. I'm gonna Susan. I'm gonna say farewell to Becky, and we appreciate it. And listen, if you need anything from us, count on us. Yeah. Okay? Thank you so much for your courage and grace. You're welcome. Please, it was great. really I'm honored to talk to yes. you. Thank you so Likewise. much. All right, Becky. Thank Susan. you for the opportunity. All right, bye. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Okay. So I, I'm worried about politics, and I'm wondering where your head's at now because you and I have been just. No, struggling. I was just talking about college. College. Um, 
Uh, I'm worried about only, that these kids are anxious now because of the craziness in the press, and yeah, the craziness in the rhetoric, and it's just really bothering. I mean, you know what yeah. most children describe to me is worry about the planet. I think there's a lot of hysteria about we're all going to be underwater 50 years from now. Well, we grew that up with we grew up with the hysteria about nuclear uh, yeah, war. Yeah, nuclear war, yeah. right? Yeah, that was over our heads constantly, and it was real. Did mm-hmm. did that nuclear war f- fear and going under the desks that I did when I was a kid? We yeah. all did when we were kids. Did that lead to anxiety and and addiction in a certain sensitive part of the population? I think it did. It might have. I, what's curious about our generation is why did we start looking up to super antisocial drug addicts that became the role model for everybody and it makes me wonder if you know we suddenly elevated somebody pops great they don't <laughs> but, but, but they we don't elevate them. people they elevate no, no, them and tear on. them down they elevate them and tear them down elevate well, them and tear them down within a month or a week or, or a year so that's fascinating right so what who are they bringing up who do kanye they west and then tear them down he's an idiot kanye west build and, them and up, a lot of this stuff we're talking about is white kids yeah which is not – it's not all the country anymore. It's like what, how, what percentage is that? I mean, well, here's an interesting statistic. It's not happening in other states. 67% of Pennsylvanians are white. Yeah. 25% of Los Angeles County citizens are, are white. Yeah. So we, we have an integrated society that we grew up in and yeah. that we live in. Yeah. The rest of the society is not like that. I okay. don't know what the numbers are in other countries, well, in states, but I was working in Pennsylvania. Uh, I want to know the demographics yeah. of it. 67% white people in Pennsylvania. Which seems a crazy amount. That's crazy. Yeah, I think you go to Ohio, it's worse. But, 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 worse? <laughs> like, did you hear worse, what he said? Yeah. White people are worse. But, but if, you go to, if you live in New <laughs> York the City. the lack of diversity was what he Maybe yeah, like that's, diverse. that's what I meant by words. So yeah. we grew up in a diverse county, yeah. in a diverse part of the United States. And, and I'm not so sure it's well executed here in Southern California, but you go to New York it's City. It's segregated. New York City is where it's a, a living, breathing, daily phenomenon, which is people of all stripes living together. That's right. one of the reasons I love New York City. Right. And they, it works. Mm-hmm. So we can make it work. We know we can make it work. Why yeah, does it work there? Work. Well, anyways, it's not a different because uh, they've been doing it for hundred years, maybe, maybe. hundred fifty years. They know how to integrate culture into that. I, city. I'm just wondering where your head's at right now. Well, so. my my head is at about education. I think we need trade schools uh, that yeah. will give kids hope. When you're identified at 16 as not so bright, you need to go to a trade school. Ow. This idea, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. This idea that every kid is a snowflake and needs to graduate from a four year university yeah, with a right. liberal arts degree mm-hmm. is right. ridiculous. Well, they can, those kids can can't. My Okay. Put your headphone on again. Yes, yeah. Put your mic on again. <laughs> no, no, I want to. I want that for her too. No, I, I, you know that we're not being realistic about who we are as 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 a people. I agree. And the value of somebody like people worked in my dad's company, right? Yeah, they were. They were appreciated. Yeah. There was this woman who was the leading glass blower and, and sign maker in Los Angeles. She was the best. She was a glass blower. She was celebrated as the greatest glass yeah. blower in LA. No, I think you're right. No, there's no respect for people of I, great craft and trade I, anymore. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Everything I, is just make it for the cheapest amount. And, and also for tech or, you know, with tech is sort of the glorified. Sort of what's no, but elevated. most kids are going to get in the liberal arts degree, which doesn't mean shit. Their parents want them to have a degree from Emerson or from this place or from that place, and it's got to stop because we're ruining their lives with debt. 
All right, we're going to leave it at that. Because <laughs> I, I don't disagree with it. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> Shelly does. No, Put your headphones no, on. No, she disagrees with it. She disagrees with it for her now. child. <laughs> she disagrees with it for her child. And, and that's fine. I disagree Let with it for my kids, too. Let me tell you something. My but son. If my kids, right. But if my kids had been struggling academically okay. in some meaningful that's way. That's what I'm right. saying. Yeah. Trade schools. Yeah. What is wrong with sure. that? To identify your strengths yeah. rather than make you have to have strengths you don't have. Listen, I would Get definitely. Your, we can't hear you. We're actually still <laughs> recording. You believe it or not. Say. This is making her feel comfortable because no. she's got a kid going to college I, I in six months. I definitely would say if she was struggling that I I would move towards something more, yeah. um, you know, trade oriented or whatever yeah. she was Skill, passionate yeah. about. Skills. Right? Yeah. But she is an academic and she does yeah, so have the challenge. So don't worry and she about can it. face so that. that she, and it, it I works think, for her. And I want her to be able to experience education yeah. because it's just something I didn't experience. It's really I'm a, I'm a big advocate. education. I'm an advocate for education. I think education. the colleges are getting dumped on by parents who don't parent their children and they want the colleges to make them grow up. They're some of that. There's a There's lot of that. that. All right. That's, that's not what I'm doing. We're going to leave it. we got to get going. Thank you to Becky. Thank you. Right. It was amazing to talk to that woman, by yeah. the way. We'll see you next time. Yeah. All right. That's about it for this episode of This Life. Check us out at KBC, being uh, Lawrence Vaughn, 790 Midday Live Talk Radio, Monday to Friday. You can also tune in every day live via the magic of the internet at kbc.com. If you miss it, we've made it simple for you to find all the shows at drdrew.com, the Adam and Dr. Drew podcast, the single one I do by myself, the Dr. Drew podcast, this life, of course, with Bob Swole Patrol, Mike Cantho, and his new health and fitness podcast. You can uh, find us on Twitter at this life podcast, at Dr. Drew, Dairy W, at Rehab Bob Forrest, and of course, our lovely producer at First Lady of Love. I think I know who that is. If you love this show, please subscribe and tell a friend. We appreciate it when you do. We'd love to hear your feedback as well. Send us a message. Join the email list at drdrew.com, drdrew.com slash contact. You'll also get a weekly uh, email from us on that. Uh, while you're at it, at doctor.com, please support our sponsors by clicking through the banners. We only advertise products that I can get behind. So thank you for supporting them, those that support us. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.